Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. I, 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 the next line I'm so excited to say, he is risen. If you're new, you're like, did I just come into a cult? I'll explain why we say that in a few minutes. So just hold tight. We're not handing out Kool-Aid. All right. So my name's Simon. I am one of the pastors here. For those watching online, welcome. Glad you guys have joined us for Easter. It has been a crazy, sleepless, amazing week here at Grace Hills, and we have just had so much fun celebrating Jesus. And it all came down to this, like, we want to just go big for Good Friday. We want to go big for Easter because Easter is one of the biggest celebrations that we have as Christians. Some would call it, which I don't know if I'm a fan of it, the Super Bowl of Christianity. I don't know if I like that term, but that's kind of how people have treated it. Because here's the thing. The reality is that's the day that changed everything. Everything changed on Easter. It's the day that hope was restored. It's when life again was a reality for those who don't have life. It was the day that death lost and life won and is available for the world for those that would call on the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Maybe some of you were here. Quick show of hands. Who was here uh, Good Friday for Friday night service? It was, I, I shouldn't call it a service. It really wasn't a service, but there's a lot going on. Um, it was a fantastic time. I mean, we were blessed to have so many guests come and join, but we wanted to create this moment of the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus. And there was actors, and there was media, and there was special effects. And um, I'll just say this. The team here at Grace Hill did an amazing job. Rich and his team, the amount of... I, I could thank... Yes, absolutely. And the best part is, is he wants none of that attention. And I can see him looking at me right now because he did a great job with his team. And there's so many people to thank. So many people poured in hours and hours and hours and weeks of work to make it happen. And what we saw was that last 24 hours. We saw what led up to Jesus being crucified. We saw that he was laid in the tomb. And that's where, it, that's where we finished, right here, in this room with this tomb. But maybe you notice the set's a little different. The stone's not in front of it, and the backdrop looks different now, doesn't it? Because here's the thing. If it was anybody else laid in a tomb, the story would have ended there. It would have stopped at this spot. But that's not who we worship. That's not who our God is. That Death didn't just take another soul. You see, three days later, we saw that Jesus was no ordinary person. He was fully man and fully God. And death and sin have zero power over our king. And he raised from the dead. And what we have is, is we have the recount of this in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. And though we're going to be in some other sections, it's only fitting that we read this section this morning as we celebrate Easter. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. If you want to follow along on the screen, that's great. If you're new and you don't have a Bible, you're like, I don't even know where to get a Bible. I don't know what a good Bible is. We have Bibles in the back. Please take one as a gift and uh, take that home and read it. Here we go. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. 
He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then so quickly, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let me pray, and we'll jump into what God has us for this morning. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the celebration of your resurrection. Thank you for the life that you offer for those that would place their life in your life, Jesus. Lord, as I speak this morning, I ask that you would open the hearts and the ears and the eyes to men and women who are here who may have never heard this message before, that they would at least walk away understanding what it is that we believe as Christians and why we celebrate and why we get so excited on Easter. I ask if there's anything in my notes that should be taken away, take them away. If there's anything that I should say that I haven't prepared, give me the, the courage and the ability to trust you and to say those things. And I ask that you would move this morning, Lord, and that you would be glorified. We pray all this because of your son's glorious name. Amen. Amen. So when I was growing up, I liked Easter as much as the next guy. You know, you got, got the color eggs. Uh, you got to eat a bunch of garbage food. You got to run around and search for things. And you got to chew the ears off of bunnies. Not live ones. Not like Ozzy Osbourne. But, like, you know, like just the chocolate ones. And so I was like, okay, this is fun. But I never really understood why we celebrated and what we were doing and, and, and why there's all these little chicks and peeps. and Why is that there? And it was, it was, no one ever kind of sat me down and said, this is why we do what we do. This is the progression of events that took place that led to the celebration that we have when we start to point our eyes towards life and what that looks like. See, my hope today is that you would see God's amazing love and how we can have eternal life as well with the God of the universe. He desires to be in a real relationship with you in every single part of your life. To understand why Easter is here, we need to at least understand why Jesus died on Good Friday. Now, it, it doesn't take an intelligent person to figure out that the world feels broken. It doesn't matter what you read, what channel you turn on the news, what paper. It doesn't even matter what political party you're aligned with. Everyone says everything's broken. We can feel it. We can sense it in the world today. We know that there are wars that are waging. There's violence that is taking place. And we all know that that's not right. We look at what's happening with Russia and Ukraine and go, that's not good, that's not right, that's not how it was meant to be. We look at how individuals treat each other and say, that's not how that should be. There should be more love in this world. We should care for more people. We look at how money and power manipulates people to want to take advantage of those that are marginalized so they can gain profit. We see that and we go, that's not right. Well, the Bible knows that. The Bible is addressed and calls that is sin. That is the effects of sin entering the world. And maybe that's a word that you've heard. You're like, I don't really understand it. It makes me feel weird when I talk about sin. Like, what is, what is sin? Well, when I talk about sin, it's just, a, it's just a way of saying that any time that we don't trust or believe God for what he said is best for life, any time we reject God's wisdom and we turn to our own wisdom, that would be sin. Because what we're saying is, though we would worship a perfect and just and holy God, when we say he's wrong, we call him a liar. 
And God says, this is how I would want you to live your life. And we kind of know some of those things. Maybe you've heard of, we've heard of the Ten Commandments, right? There's all these things that this is how we should live if we want to worship God. And so, but we realize quickly, the Ten Commandments, though we think, oh, this would be great to follow, don't we find ourselves falling short of those commandments all the time? You're like, well, what do you mean, Simon? Like, if you've grown up, have you ever disobeyed and dishonored your parents? Suddenly we're all guilty, just like that. If you ever lied, if you ever coveted something that somebody else had, if you ever looked at a woman or a man in lust, if you've ever uh, rejected God and made something more important than God, if you've ever taken the Lord's name in vain, if you've ever blasphemed God and who he is, that makes us guilty. We couldn't meet the standard. Guys, like, here's these 10 simple things that you can, you can be like, and we couldn't even do it. Couldn't even get to that point. Because when sin entered the world, it affects everything and everyone. And the worst thing that happened with sin is it broke our relationship with God, the one who gives real meaning, real purpose, and real life. When we, we lost that relationship, we lost everything about who we were. We lost our true identity. And you know what we find today is that people are constantly searching for their identity constantly. Ever since the fall, we're looking for identity. I want to be smart. I want to be powerful. I want to have a lot of money. I want to be really pretty. I want to be known by the world as someone who has worth and value and importance. And we're trying to find our identity in all these other things when it actually started with God. We became spiritually dead in that moment. And physical death was a result of that. So we look around and go, there's a lot of death. Yeah, there is. There is a lot of death because of sin. Where there once was life, sin brought death. Romans 3.23 would say it this way, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So God's standard is perfection because he's perfect. And what it's saying here is that all of us are guilty all of us have sinned against God. All of us have rejected God's ways in some way. We, can, we know that, don't we? Like, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. You know how I know that? Because when I lay at night and I think about all the things that I've done, the things that I regret, I go, that just highlights the fact that I'm not perfect. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. And you're like, well, so what? Big deal. Okay. Guilty. What does that mean? Well, the problem is that there's a consequence for that. The Bible would say really clearly in Romans 6, uh, 23. <clears throat> sorry, I lost my place here. 6, 23. There it is. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says that there is death that will occur. That So now we know that we're all guilty. We've actually inherited the sin of Adam and Eve when they sinned. So it came as a part of our very DNA, but we've also committed our own sins. So if we're all sinners, all a part of our DNA, and the wages of sin is death, we now actually have a problem, don't we? There's a problem that exists like, wait, if I'm a sinner and God has to punish sin and the punishment is death, I feel like I'm in a bad situation. I feel like I don't like the situation that we're in. And you know what, Simon? It's getting a little uncomfortable in here. We were all excited a second ago and laughing, and now I feel a little bit off. Well, here's the thing. Because 
Death is the result of sin, and the punishment is, is sin, and we find ourselves guilty. Who should be the one to pay those wages? Should it be somebody else? Well, no, it should be us, right? Like, if we're the ones that commit the sin, if we're the ones that are sinning, we should be the ones that pay that penalty. We should be the ones to give an account for our lives. Well, this is where the story takes a really crazy turn. This is where you go like, well, yeah, I guess, I mean, I don't like what you're saying, but it makes sense. Instead, God rightfully letting us live our life in rebellion to him and dealing with the consequences of sin. He says, I love my creation. I love my people. I love my kids that I'm going to provide a way. I am going to come and take care of the problem of separation. I'm going to take care of the problem of sin. I'm going to come and take care of the problem of death is what I'm going to do. And so what we see is that he says, I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to show you my great love. I want you to see my love physically, tangibly lived out. And so he sends his son Jesus to come and live and walk amongst us to show us what it looks like to totally love God with every single part of your life. Every thought, every word, every action, every deed. He says this is what it looks like to live that life. Not tainted by sin. Not in rebellion to God. You know what's crazy? This was how we were designed to live. Yet we couldn't. And it says that he came and lived the life that we could not live. Wow. People say Jesus was so different. He was different. You want to know why he was different? Because he honored God with every part of his life. And that's why he looked so differently. That's why he stood out in every crowd. That's why everyone was drawn to him. Because they were seeing the love of God before them. But he didn't just go, hey guys, here's how you should live. Peace out. I'll see you later. That's not what he did. That, that would have been like, well, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I have it in me to do what he just did. That, but that's not what he did. Instead, what he did is he took our place. So we were designed to live a perfect life so we could be in perfect relationship with the perfect God. And he took our place. So he gives us his perfect life. But the thing is that God is not going to compromise who he is because he's perfect and he has to judge sin. Sin must be dealt with in some way. And so what we see is that he says, I will take the punishment for your sins. All the sins of all the rejection, all the re moving away from God. He says, I'm going to take all of that. I'm going to put that on my shoulders. So now we see is that not only does he give us his perfect life so we can be in perfect relation with the perfect God, he takes the penalty for our sins, puts them all on his shoulders. Everyone sins, the sins of the world, past, present, future sins. Nailed to a cross, took the punishment, felt the full wrath of God that we deserved. He took that place. He took that punishment. He stood where we were supposed to so we would not have to. He met the requirements of perfection and God's wrath being satisfied. Romans 5, 8 would say it this way. <clears throat> but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You wonder what love looks like? That there's a God who loves you so much, he would die for those that are rebelling against him, that have rejected him, that he would step into harm's way so we would not have to endure that. This is why we celebrate Good Friday. This is why we call it Good Friday. It's good for us 
Because the wrath of God, the judgment of God was fulfilled so we would not have to endure it. He gave his life so we could have eternal life if we place our life in his. And that's what we see that death, this is crazy, death was defeated with the death of God. He even took the curse and flipped it to make it the remedy for our sin. And this leads us to Easter today. Like this is what we see that, that then Jesus was raised from the grave. That's why we have an empty tomb. That's why the, the linens were, were folded neatly. He's like, I'm done with these. Don't need those. I'm alive. The tomb was rolled back. He couldn't hold him. Because tombs are for dead people. Right? Jesus is alive. There are these three places in Jerusalem. You're like, well, this is where the tomb is. And this is where the tomb is. And this is where the tomb is. And everyone's trying to get all the tourists to come there because they want to make money. But I'll tell you, there's something that all three have in common. You know what it is? They're all empty. There's no bones. There's no nothing in there. They're empty. He rose from the dead. And that's what we're celebrating today, that sin could not hold the Son of God. It had no power over him. Sin could not control him. And this is where... It just gets amazing. He says, this is how you too can have eternal life. He says this in Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If we place our life in his life, we will be saved. That means that we're admitting that we can't save ourselves, admitting that we're sinners, admitting that we didn't meet God's standard. It means admitting that we need someone to step in where we couldn't do the work of making atonement with God. It's understanding and admitting that we did not earn it, that we did not deserve it, that there was nothing good about us, but everything good comes from the Father and He shows His goodness in it, but it is a free gift that we would confess that to God, that He is the Christ, He is the Messiah, He is the Lord of the universe. And if our life is placed in His life, we can have eternal life. So it's very interesting if you think about what's going on here. So if we're going to place our life in the life of somebody else, some things need to happen. If we're seeking eternal life, if we're desiring eternal life, we need our life in a life that lives forever. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and we put our life in his life, what does that equal for us? Death. We still have death, don't we? But if we place our life in one who can conquer sin and conquer death, it means that we have conquered sin and we have conquered death and we have eternal life because he will live forever. And if we are to live forever, our life needs to be sealed in one that lives forever. That's why we place our life in the life of Christ. That's what we're doing. And that's what Easter's about, being resurrected, that if we confess Jesus is Lord, we can have that eternal life. It's interesting Paul would say it this way. This is not in the slides. I'm just going to read it for you. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul got it. He understood it. If this is all a sham, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we have nothing. We have this like, fun argument, like, what's the most important day for Christmas? Like, Christmas, because Jesus was born. I'm like, yeah, but if he was born and he didn't die, it wouldn't matter. We'd still be dead. That's why Easter is the pinnacle of everything that we hold. He fulfilled it. It was finished. It was taken care of. That's how we have our life. 
What gives Christians hope? What gives us the ability to not fear death when it comes inevitably? What lets us press into difficult situations when it seems hopeless? It's because this is not all there is. This is not the end. I mean, if we're lucky, we're going to squeak out, what, 80, 90? Now, we have people here that are over 100, and I, I, they are like, ha-ha, gotcha. I'll give you 110. Maybe 110 if you're lucky, okay? If it all goes well, 110, that is just a blip on a screen that goes hundreds of miles long that you won't even see. We're so short-sighted at times that we're only looking at the here and the now, not realizing there's an eternity that waits for us. There's an eternity that goes forever and ever and ever that we are a part of. And you will either be connected to the God of the universe, the God of love, the God of light, or be separated from him for forever. Now, we've been going through the book of 1 John the last few months, and it ends with these huge statements that John makes at the very end. He wraps up the book, and he says this. In 1 John 5, 10 through 11, and then in verse 20, I'll read that one as well. It says this, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. He would say later on, like the whole reason I wrote this letter is for one big, huge reason. And it's actually in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the whole point that we would know. But in verse 20, he says this, And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. If you want to know where eternal life lies, if you want to know how to have eternal life, it all comes from the Father, and it is all rooted in Jesus Christ. This thing that we desire, that we look for all over the place to bring us joy, to bring us happiness, to bring us peace, to bring us fulfillment, to bring us purpose, it is all in Jesus Christ. That is where your peace, joy, happiness, purpose, and fulfillment are. That is where it is. So you may wonder when I say, He is risen, you say, He is risen Do you know why we say that? It's our victory cry over death. It is the victory cry that we have saying, I do not have to fear anymore. I am saved. I have life. God died for me, and I don't have to fear anything that comes because the worst I can do is kill me, and then I'll be with Jesus for forever. That's why we say that is our victory cry. And I love saying that. We should say it more often, right? Not just once a year. But that's the reality. It is our victory cry over death. We were destined for hell and separation, and we have been saved by a God who loves us. When, when we say this, we're saying so much about what we believe about the person and the, and the character of God, that he is good, that he is loving, that he has provided a way. Today, I get to do something that I love to do. I'm going to baptize four individuals today. I love baptizing people because there's some things that are going on. 
One is a public declaration of their faith allegiance to Jesus Christ. They're saying, I love Jesus with my whole life. He is my Lord, he is my King, and I will submit and surrender to him in every aspect of my life. So we do that. The other thing is that there's these things that happen when we're in the water. There's these three stages. So you notice that everyone comes in, they all walk and they stand there. That represents their, their old life. Their, their life is, this is where I used to be. This is when I was rebelling against God, when I didn't have life, when I, I wasn't striving after him. And we stand there, who we were. And then we get lowered into the water, right? It's almost as though we're being buried. And the water covers us. And we're saying, I am dying to that old life, that life that was leading me from separation from God, that life that was removing me from God's presence, that life that was causing me to never be with purpose and dignity and worth. I'm dying to that. I knew the results. I knew it was going, and I'm dead to it. And then we come out of the water. And it's celebrating that we have new life, but not just new life, new life in Jesus. That is what we celebrate, that we have new life in Christ, eternal life in Christ, hidden with him for forever. Because here's the thing. Everyone who's made a profession of faith, everyone who's been baptized has come to the realization of this. Someday you will stand before God and you will have to give an account for your life. Sin will be punished. Sin will be dealt with. You can stand before God and do that in your own power and your own ability and see if you meet God's perfect standard. You can do that if you, if you want. You can say, I'm going to represent myself. But if his standard is perfection and we're not perfect, we have a problem. Or you can place your life in the one who was perfect, who did meet that standard. And his name is Jesus. If you are hearing this and you're like, I have never heard this message before. I have questions. <laughs> I need to talk with somebody. We'd love to do that. Anyone on stage who sings up here would be more than happy to talk with you. I would talk with you. Any of the elders would want to talk with you. Any of the pastors, come and talk and say, I have questions about this Jesus. There's something going on in my heart. I don't understand what it is. My eyes have been open. We want to talk with you. We want to have that conversation. And I would love to have you understand when I say he is risen, you say, because that would be your victory cry. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for saving us. I thank you for giving us new life. I thank you for the fact that we get to celebrate with others right now who are going to proclaim who you are in their life and what you mean to them. Lord, I ask for friends that have come here today that they would maybe ask some questions of where they are with you. If this is real, if what we're saying is real, we have to start to deal with who we are. We've seen so much death over the last few years. We cannot escape it. We know that it's there, though we try to hide from it. Lord, I ask that you would let us press into that. That we would celebrate our victory cry over death. That everything that we celebrate today is about life. It's death is lost. You have won. And if we are your children, if we have placed our life in yours, then we are saved. I love you, Jesus. I pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen.